Turn with me tonight to Micah chapter 7. Micah, of course, is one of the minor prophets. If you get Matthew and work your way back, you'll eventually come to Micah. We're reading from Micah chapter 7. We're going to read the first 10 verses. I want you to think of these words as we read them tonight. Micah chapter 7, verse 1. We're reading, of course, from the authorized version. Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, as the grape gleanings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. The good man has perished out of the earth, and there's none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge asketh for a reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire, so they wrap it up. The best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh. Now shall be their perplexity. Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoureth the father. The daughter riseth up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. Then she that is mine enemy shall see it, and a shame shall cover her which said unto me, Where is the Lord thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her. Now shall she be trodden down as the mire of the streets. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now, my text tonight is found in Micah chapter 7, verses 7 through to 9. And my theme this evening, I've simply entitled, Lifting Up the Fallen. Think of these words, when I fall, I shall arise. Now, Micah is known as one of the minor prophets. He was preaching in Judah from around 737 B.C. to 696 B.C. He experienced the devastation brought into the land by Zennacherib's invasion of the country in 701 B.C. Earlier, he had witnessed the fall of Israel. That's the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, to the Assyrian army, and that was in 722 B.C. Now, I believe tonight that, sadly, many preachers of the Word of God 
And some believers in the Lord have neglected a study of the minor prophets. They sort of rate Micah and others of the minor prophets, the other 11, something as a a second-class prophecy. Or or he's a second-class prophet in comparison to Isaiah and in comparison to Jeremiah. But you see, these minor prophets are not inferior. They might be in relation to size, in relation to their prophecy, but not in substance. Micah is not minor in importance. Do you know that each of these minor prophets contain a rich field of treasure, a gold, a diamond mind of truth, and it can be obtained by reading and study and hard work and meditation. Now, you see, Micah's message was twofold. He exposed the godlessness of Israel's sin. And the second thing that he did was he expounded the grace of the God of Israel to all who would listen, calling them to recognize their sin and repudiate it and repent and return to the Lord. And you see, two great themes. The guilt of a godless people, that was evident. And the grace of the God of the people. Now, when you come to chapter 7... Micah is setting forth the terrible power and the pervasiveness of sin in the life of the church in that time and the life of the country. Notice complaint. Chapter 7, verse 2. The good man has perished out of the earth and there is none upright among men. Sin has so impacted the country, so much so that a good man is rare to find. That godly men are almost non-existent. He's asking us to look at the state of things when the prince on the throne and the judge on the bench, they're asking for a reward. In other words, someone comes and requests their help, state intervention in some particular area, or asks the judge to show justice and mercy. And what are they saying? Bribe me. Give me something in return to help. Listen to the advice of chapter 7, verse 5. Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. You see, whenever truth falls in the street, whenever there's no manifestation of true faith, whenever justice and the grace of God are missing ingredients in the life of the land, Trust also is marked by its absence. Trust is missing. Think of a land where trust is missing in regard to close friends, a business partner, or a husband and wife relationship. It's failing because they do not trust each other. In our day, it's trust not in a missing ingredient in the political world. Is trust in our Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, not at an all-time low? So much so that households are affected. Close families are affected. Listen to verse 6. For the son dishonoreth their father. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother. A man's enemies. Who are they? The men of his own household. So much so that when it comes to trade and commerce, because of the lack of trust, it's impacted as well. And then the prophet admits something strange. 
sin has affected me too. If it's pervaded the country and affected the prince on the throne, the judge on the bench, households are in turmoil, then sin has affected me too. He makes an honest confession. Chapter 7, verses 7 through to 9. Now, if you discover, if you examine my text, you'll discover a, a spiritual reality. Now, listen to me carefully. The reality is that a Christian can and does fall into sin, even gross sin. And when we sin, the devil delights in that sin. He gloats in that sin. He's overjoyed. Even those who profess to be Christians fall into sin. But when he does and can fall into sin, he also can say, I will arise. He does and can arise up again. And even though he experiences a period of darkness, he, he makes this confession that he will see the light of the Lord. I was just thinking last week of these words of Fanny Crosby that we were singing together. We bore the erring ones, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. I was thinking of the memorial that stands in Bush Mills to Robert Quigg. He came from the parish of Billy, outside Bush Mills. He was born on the 28th of February, 1885. He worked on McNaughton's estate. In 1912, he enlisted in the old UVF. He was a member of LOL 1195. He played in a flute band, but he fought in the psalm. And for the most conspicuous bravery, he was awarded the Victoria Cross. Imagine, the late Ernie Patterson used to delight in telling me the story about Robert Quigg who got the VC because of most conspicuous bravery at the Somme. You see, young Harry McNaughton was missing. He was an officer in the army. And Robert Quigg volunteered to go into no man's land to locate him on the 1st and the 2nd of July. He went out seven times, and each time he returned with a woman, a wounded soldier. And after seven hours of trying, he had to give up. He couldn't find young Harry McNaughton. His body was never returned to his family. The last soldier that he brought home that was wounded was Robert Matthews from Moss Side. And he, of course, survived the war and lived to tell the tale that it was Robert Quigg that carried him out of no man's land, even though he was wounded and dying. And it was he owed his life to him. And you see, what's true physically in war? Lifting up the wounded, the fallen, so that they can live again, so they can rise and stand. What is true in a physical sense has to be true in a spiritual sense. And isn't that the job of the Christian church? Isn't that the job of the preacher? The godly elder is not the job of the deacon. It's not the job of the individual Christian who loves the Lord, who has this mindset. My goal as a Christian is to glorify God by rescuing the perishing and care for the dying, to snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. I want you to think of these words tonight. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. And I want you to think of three things very quickly. The reality of the Christian's fall. When I fall. Notice it's not if I fall. Notice it's not in case I fall. Or notice it's not even one day I might fall. No, it's when. You see, in other words, it's inevitable. In other words, it's going to happen. 
In other words, it's a reality. You see, falling into sin, now listen to me carefully tonight, even gross sin is going to be the experience of every true child of God, whether a pastor, an elder, a deacon, or just a church member, or, or, or an ordinary believer who's just a, 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 an adherent to the uh, house of God. A true Christian who falls into sin, now listen to me carefully, will not remain in that sin. They'll not remain in that fallen state. Why? Because the Lord in grace will intervene. He will not allow it. And I believe this was a present experience for Micah. He said, when I fall, he was conscious of his own propensity to sin. He was thinking of the present. He, he was including himself, not a past experience, but a present experience. Remember, we live in a fallen world. Remember, we lived in a corrupt society. Remember, we have a natural propensity to sin against the Lord. You see, our love for him can wane and grow cold. There's times we'll not be as loyal to him as we ought to be and should be. There's times we'll deny him. There's times we'll desert him. Remember, the world finds an ally in our natural propensity to sin. The world finds an ally in our allurement to the world. The world finds an ally in the pull of our inward flesh. We live in a fallen world with an enemy that's devoted to our fall. And you see, the devil comes against us as a roaring lion, as an angel of light, as a subtle serpent. And the reality is, good men and God's people have fallen, do fall, and will fall even into gross sin. And because of our fall into sin, sadly, it becomes an occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme. So we've got to accept the reality. God's people do fall into sin, even gross and terrible sin. We are a time we can fall away from the Christian life. We can fall away from the path of righteousness. We can fall into bypath meadows. And a fall? Well, a fall can be painful. A fall causes a lot of hurt. A fall leaves you with a, a feeling that you're full of guilt and shame. And then, of course, the old accuser of the brethren comes, the devil himself, and he tells you, some Christian you are, how could you be saved and do this or that? Now, now, what do we do as we face the reality of the Christian's fall? Well, I believe we have to acknowledge the truth of our fall into sin. Over there in John's Gospel, 1 John chapter 1, we read the words, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And in this chapter... He says in verse 9, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. And secondly, we refuse to cater for the human pride of self-deception. You see, many who profess the name of Christ fall into sin. They ignore the sin. They pretend it's not there. They pretend that it will go away. But that will not deal with the guilt and shame of sin that eats away at them. 
The third thing to do is acknowledge that there's no such thing as perfection in the Christian life. You'll never, ever be perfect. You'll never, ever reach a point in the Christian life where you will not have this propensity to fall into sin. Remember what Paul says in the book of Galatians, in Galatians 5 and 17, he says, For the flesh lusted against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And over there in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 7 and verse 10, it says, And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. And also we acknowledge there is an evil propensity in us to sin. Can't be corrected, can't be fixed, can't be dressed up. It's something that's inherent to us. See, here's the reality of the Christian's fall. We all have a natural tendency to sin, to backslide, to get away from the Lord. Now, I'm not trying to excuse sin. I'm not trying to condone sin. I'm not saying sin's okay. But the reality is this. We have a natural propensity to fall into sin, even gross sin, even grievous sin, even though we profess to be saved and love the Lord. And I want you to understand, no true Christian is exempt. Don't we read in the Bible for our instruction, our encouragement, that Noah, preacher of righteousness, builder of the ark, didn't he lie drunk and was discovered naked in his tent? Remember Abraham lied about Sarah? Remember Abraham and Sarah tried to help the Lord fulfill God's promise? You're going to have a, a son of your flesh. Sarah's too old, it's not going to happen. I'll marry Hagar instead and I'll raise up a seed by her and that'll be the Lord's seed. And it wasn't. Ishmael wasn't the Lord's seed. He was the son of the flesh, not the son of promise. Didn't Jacob be twisted and deceitful in his dealings with his brother for years? Think about David. A big fall into sin there. A man of God, a man after God's own heart. Remember, he should have been at the war got lazy and stayed at home and then he couldn't sleep and he was on the rooftop and he seen a beautiful woman in the distance and he lusted in his heart for her he wanted her and he committed adultery with her and then he lied and schemed to cover it up trying to get Uriah the Hittite drunk and then there was another scheme where it involved the death of this mighty man of God and Uriah was a mighty man of God and what did David do he tried to cover up his sin and the covering up of sin lasted anything between 11 months and 2 years. Now he was king. He was an absolute monarch, not like our constitutional queen. And he had power. But he discovered a propensity to sin. He had to confess against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mayest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. What about the disciples that all forsook Christ and fled? Sometimes we're hard on Peter. We know he denied the Lord with those in cursing three times. I would never do that. I would never fail to give a testimony. I would never fail to witness for the Lord. To all of us, this preacher included, holds up his hands and says there's been times and occasions when I have remained silent. Haven't spoke for Christ. Haven't called for repentance. When it was called for. What about the dispute between Barnabas and Saul of Tarsus, Paul? It was very heated. And they, they broke fellowship and departed 
their ways? What about Demas, having loved this present world, forsook God and his word? You see, here's the reality of the Christian's fall. And there's not one of us exempt. Let me tell you secondly, I want you to think of this, the result of the Christian's fall. Now notice what he says when I fall. He's not ignoring it. He's not denying the reality of it. He's making an honest confession. And what's the result? He says in verse 9, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him. You see, here's one of the results of the Christian's fall. There's evidence of guilt. And if you fall into sin and I fall into sin, then the first thing we have to do is admit our own guilt. Admit we deserve the judgment of God. Admit we have defiled and soiled our conscience. Admit that we have dishonored God's name. You see, David's greatest need when he was in a cold, backslidden state was to recognize his sin, repudiate it, repent of it. But in order to do that, he had to deal with the guilt that was in his conscience. And that's one of the greatest needs in the land. Do you know there's many who are mentally ill and they're physically sick and they're disturbed greatly and I'm minimizing it. But a lot of it is attributed to the guilt of some past sin that is haunting them and they've never ever dealt with it. And of course, with the guilty conscience, you discover a lack of true joy. And then you feel, well, the need to satisfy and dull your conscience. And instead of admitting the guilt of sin, you delve into drink or drugs or the party scene. And you try to, to cancel out what you're missing in your heart and mind. There's a lack of true peace because you're going to feel pain. Pain in your heart, mind and body. You, you, you're, you're going to lack spiritual rest in the turning to drink and drugs in the party scene to try and forget your, your guilt. It only compounds the problem. And you'll have a feeling of misery more and more. I want you to think of Micah. He witnessed this great destroyer coming into the land, the Assyrian army, Rabshakeh, and Sennacherib's as the king of Assyria. And, and he knew that this was a result of sin. He knew there was a deluge of immorality and iniquity in the land. And you think of the enemy of our soul wanting to do us harm, wanting to do us hurt. And he wants to bring about our fall. When I fall, there'll be the evidence of guilt. You'll feel that. You'll feel it in your heart. You'll feel it in your mind. But also there's the evidence of glee. Here's another result of the Christian's fall. Look what he says in verse 8. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. You see, when we fall into sin, there's the opportunity for the enemy to blaspheme God's name, blaspheme God's honor, blaspheme God's power and glory. The enemy rejoices over us. You see, let me explain. I believe it's good tonight to feel guilt. I believe tonight feeling guilty about past sin or present sin is a good indicator that the Spirit of God is at work in your conscience. You, you become aware of God and his word, that, 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 that you have sinned against him. But if you profess the name of Christ, 
You say, I belong to the Savior. There was a day I trusted him as Lord and Redeemer, but I'm happy in my sin now. And everything's fine and well, physically, mentally, and emotionally, and spiritually, and I'm at peace with myself in my sin. I have to say this. I question if you're ever truly born again of the Spirit of God, because if you sin against the Lord, and you're truly saved, you'll not be happy in that sin. You'll be miserable. You, you will know it, and the Holy Ghost will convict you, and your conscience will bother you, and you will not have peace. You'll not have joy. You'll not have rest. But on the other hand, the devil will rejoice. Is being bothered about sin, being miserable, irritable, being upset, is it not evidence of the grace of God at work? Remember the day and the time when you wanted to please the Lord, but because of a fall into sin, you've lost your joy, you've lost your peace, you've lost your desire to please him. You're no longer living in victory. The devil comes and says, how could you be a Christian? How could you be saved? Here's the cruelty of the devil. He kicks you when you're down. He shows you no mercy. He doesn't care you're, you're in pain, you're, you're weeping or you're broken. You go into the workplace. You profess to be a Christian. You testify to others. And then the world waits and watches. And if you fall in a sin, whether it's in a farm or a factory or, or wherever it is, School, university, they'll delight in it. There'll be a gleeful rejoicing. It will only confirm their suspicion. They're all a bunch of phony hypocrites. I told you there's no such need as this religion. I told you that it wasn't real. I told you there was no God. But remember, because you have fallen into sin... And even though there's evidence of glee in the mind and the heart of the devil and all who follow him, your fall into sin doesn't mean that you're not saved. It doesn't mean that God has left you. But if you're miserable in sin, if you're bothered and upset and in trouble in your heart and mind, then God has a message for you. It's evidence of grace. Notice the reference here. He says, when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Israel's darkness was brought about by sin. So was our spiritual darkness. Once you neglect the Lord, neglect the word of God, neglect true manna for your soul through the scriptures of truth, neglect the place of prayer, neglect the house of God, Sin in your tongue, sin in your thoughts, sin in your hands and your feet, your eyes, your ears, your hearts. Then you're a prime target for the enemy. I think of the story of Pilgrim's Progress. He's on his way to the palace. He had to climb up the hill called Difficulty. It was steep. He was tired. He rested in a sort of a booth or an arbor. And he sat, he rested, he fell asleep. And in the darkness came. And as he awoke, the darkness was upon him. And then he discovered he had lost the paper to get into the palace. And he had to make his way back in the darkness without a light. And is that not true of the Christian life, the Christian experience? Because of sin, we, we fall into darkness. There's a loss of spiritual vision. We can't see Christ. We can't enjoy Christ. We, we face the difficulty of our need. Have you a heart for him tonight? 
you profess to be saved? Profess to be a Christian? Do you love the house of God, the day of God? Do you love the word of God? Do you love the, the throne of God as you kneel in prayer? These are all questions that only you can answer. But if you fall into sin, here's one of the results. The enemy rejoices. He is watching a true believer to fall into sin. And there's a, almost a party in hell. The Bible tells us that Edom rejoiced at Jerusalem's judgment. And in Micah's day, they were laughing at God's people. They were bragging, where is, their, where is thy God? They, 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 they were laughing at God's person. Now, now you think of my fall into sin. Laughing at God. Dishonoring his name. Enemies blaspheming. Saying, you as a Christian, you're a joke. Your God is a joke. You see, it, it just makes their day. They, they delight in it. And you see, I feel that once we become aware of the hatred of the enemy, who is unrelentless, who never gives up, who shows no mercy, and even when we have sinned against him, let's remember, let's remember the evidence of glee that's in the heart and mind of our enemies. And that should be a spur to help us even in the fight and battle against sin. But one final thought. Not only the reality of the Christian's fall and the results of the Christian's fall, but think of the, the remedy of the Christian's fall. He, he says this, I shall arise. Here's faith. Here's confidence, affirming something. He's not going to stay down. He's fallen, yes, but he's not going to stay fallen. He says, when I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness... The Lord shall be a light unto me. You see, there was faith in God's pardon. I have sinned. Can you say that tonight? You see, that's an admission of sin. That's an admission of guilt. Sin has wounded you. But, but you're not going to stay down under the power of sin and be defeated. You're going to say, I will arise. And where will you go to? He says in verse 7, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Remember the, the old publican? God be merciful to me, the sinner. That man went home justified. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. When he says here, I will look unto the Lord, he was referring to the Shekinah glory in the temple. He was thinking of the place of the shed blood. Not only faith in God's pardon, but very quickly, faith in God's promises. Do you know that there are 7,300 promises in the book? Think of this one, Hebrews 13 and 5 and 6. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Five negatives. Remember the psalmist said in Psalm uh, 37 and in the verse um, uh, 24, he made this tremendous statement. Listen to these words. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. We can look to the promises in Lamentations 3, 31 to 33. We can look to Isaiah 41 and verse 10. And you see, when you've fallen, here's what I want you to do. Lay hold on God's word. Use God's word. Make a bold, confident statement. Was not what Christian did when he was fighting Apollyon in Pilgrim's Progress? Apollyon was on top of him, about to strike the fatal blow. Christian found his sword. He took out it and he plunged it into Apollyon's side. And as he did so, he quoted Micah chapter 7, verse 8. When I fall, 
I shall arise. And the devil fled. You see, faith in God's pardon, but faith in God's promises. He used the word of God. He used it boldly and confidently. Faith in God's power. Maybe you're here tonight and you're in weakness. You feel an inability to go on in the Christian life. You, you feel you're struggling. I just can't cope with this. Circumstances and situation that's really bothering you. Things that are happening in the life of your family. What can we do? Well, remember this. That God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Doesn't it say the eternal God is thy refuge and underneath of the everlasting arms? And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. By God's power you can arise. You can gain the victory. He will give you victory to tread over your enemies. He will come with power and blessing. What about, as we finish, faith in God's prayers? Notice what he says in verse 9, I will bear the indignation of the Lord. That's the judgment because I have sinned against him. He's admitting he deserves judgment until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. Do you know anybody that's a good defense lawyer for God's people? Is it not our Lord Jesus Christ? Remember what we read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see, Jesus Christ was born for sinners. He lived a sinless life for sinners. He died an atoning death for sinners. He shed his precious blood. And it was for the glory of God. And, and he can come to you in your fallen state, whether you're a sinner who has never saved or a backslider who's fallen in your sin and he can pick you up he can pardon you from all your sin he can fill your heart and mind with his promise that you can stand on he can fill you with his power do you know why because he's praying for you tonight you think of an advocate praying for you in heaven remember what paul says in romans chapter 8 and verse 24 there he, he, he says this, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? In verse 34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Is that not our hope? That Christ is in heaven making intercession for us tonight. And that intercession is grounded in the execution of judgment. In the fact that he died and shed his precious blood. Here's the reality. You and I going to fall. There's times we'll sin against the Lord. We'll grieve him. We'll deny him. But in those times, he is praying for us. Isn't that what he said to Peter? When thou art converted... Strengthen thy brethren. I have prayed for you, Peter. Even though Satan wants to sift you as wheat, and even though you fall, it's not total. It's not final. It's not eternal. Don't accept failure. Don't accept defeat. Don't, don't wallow in the mire of guilt. That's what many are doing. Recognize your sin. 
come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've sinned against you. That's what David did in Psalm 51. Lord, forgive my sin. Lord, pardon me in the ground of the shed blood. And when faith affirms that and gets sight of his pardon, his promises, his power, his prayers, that's the remedy for the Christian's fall. Lift up the fallen ones. Let's endeavor to lift up the fallen ones and to love them and win them for Jesus' sake. May the Lord take these few words and bless them to us.